So open your Bibles and turn them on to the book of James, letter of James. It's in the New Testament, far right side of your Bible, almost towards the end. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far, so back up. So back up a little bit. If you have a phone, you just click James. That's pretty easy. If you don't have a phone or a physical Bible, you can look at the screen in the sky behind me, and it'll have the scripture as well. If you are here for the first time, I want to say thank you for visiting with us this morning and spending your time with us. My name is John, and I serve as the pastor here at CityGate Church. And we are turning to the letter of James because last week we started week one of what we would consider um, a summer series in the letter of James. Last week was the introduction, and so you, um, you can catch it online if you, if you were not here last week at citygatechurch.cc. It's called Sunday Replay. You can hear all the messages on there as well. Well, James, we are, we are in this letter because James is the, the author. He's also the half-brother of Jesus. That's this guy. He is Jesus' kid brother. He grew up as a skeptic, didn't really believe a whole lot what was going on when he was younger. In fact, he thought Jesus was crazy at times. He attempted to, to hide him from what he was trying to do. He told him, basically, get back in the house. You're making an embarrassment out of everybody. But he witnessed Jesus alive with his own eyes after he was killed, and he became a follower. He became a believer. You see, at 30 years of age, Jesus entered, started, what the Bible calls his public ministry. Uh, this means he, he was in the public eye. He was out in the open uh, doing miraculous things, healing people, teaching with authority that no one had ever heard before. He traveled from town to town performing miracles and calling people to embrace the kingdom of God. That's what he did. He called people to embrace the new kingdom that was on earth. And this did not sit well with those in authority of the current religious system. They eventually got one of Jesus' close friends. His name was Judas. They got Judas to betray him. And Judas sold his whereabouts, his destination for some silver. He was arrested. He went before the courts. It was sort of a, it was a rigged trial. They knew what they wanted, so they just moved quickly and got it done with. Then they physically beat him, and they eventually killed him by crucifixion. This is the worst way to die. This is not the way you want to go out. They nailed him to a cross made out of trees, and they hung him there until he died. And his family and his friends and all those who followed him mourned his death. They thought it was over. The one who had come to save the Jewish people, to throw off the Roman oppression, to, to be their new and governing king, was dead. His family and friends, they mourned. It was probably a rough few days. But, best word in the Bible, whatever comes after the word but, that's when you really want to pay attention. But the miracle above all other miracles happened. You see, Jesus rose from the grave. He walked out of his tomb. The Bible calls this the resurrection. Jesus was resurrected back to life. And Jesus is the only man on earth ever who has been raised from the dead, never to die again. He's the only man who ever has been raised from the dead, never to die again, because the Bible records that he then shows up to his brother James, and I'm sure he goes, well, I'm a believer now, right? If I was making fun of you a long time ago, I thought you were crazy, but if you're here in front of me, either I had some bad pizza or you're really alive. It's the only one of the two. And so James becomes a believer, and the Bible says that Jesus showed himself to over 500 people after he showed himself to James. The Bible re reveals that Jesus is the resurrected king. It was the resurrection that turned James into a, from a skeptic into a servant. And so then if you, if you dial into the story of James, 
He becomes the leader of the very early church. The letter we're reading today was written in the 40s. Remember last week, not 1740, not 1840, not 1940, just 40. No numbers in front of it. It's one of the earliest letters of the New Testament. And that's because James was the leader of the early church. All the Jewish people in those communities who started following Jesus and coming to faith in him, who realized who Jesus was and said, I'm going to give my life to you. I know salvation is found in you. I'm going to be all for you. You're my God. James was the leader of those people. They were the early church. And so James, like any good leader, he needs to instruct his church. He needs to help them out. He needs to address them. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes a letter and sends it to those. And the theme of this letter really is faith works. Faith works. Now it's kind of a a two-sided coin. One, faith really is a real, tangible, accessible thing. Faith is, is what we all have in something. You see, if I say I have faith in Jesus Christ, you can say, well, I don't have faith in anything. Maybe you can talk me into faith in Jesus. Well, I would say you have faith in something right now. We all have faith in something. We're all hoping and dreaming for something to happen in the future, and we don't see it yet today. We all have faith in something. We're all living with the power of faith somewhere in our lives. Well, James writes a letter to all these Christians who are having some tough times. And he's like, like, look, faith works. And also your faith must have works. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road, as they usually say. And the James says is that you, you believe in Jesus Christ, your life will look a certain way. And your mouth will speak a certain way. And your hands will serve a certain way. And so James writes a letter. And right off the bat, as we get into verse 2, James writes this letter. He addresses his, his church who's all spread out. He wants to describe to them the perfect and complete life. That's this week. The unstoppable faith of a perfect and complete life. So you think about Christians spread out all over the towns. Verse, verse 2, verse 1. It's not going to be up there. I'll read it to you. This was last week. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. What that means is that he's writing to people who are dispersed everywhere. All of his Jewish kin who all belong to the 12 different tribes within the Jewish community. He's essentially writing to anyone who is Jewish who is following Jesus and they are spread out everywhere. See, at this time, there is no certain church service in a church building in a certain city. This is very early on. So they're all spread out everywhere and James instructs them. He says, first, Faith works. This is what your faith is supposed to look like. And he starts right off by trying to describe to them the perfect and complete life. That's this week, the perfect and complete life. Let me stop for a moment and ask you this. If you today had the authority and the power to piece together what you consider the perfect and complete life, what would you do? What would you add to your life? What would you take away from your life? Let me ask it this way. If If you wanted to live in completeness and perfect wholeness, right now, you individually, if you were like, man, if I had these things, my life would be completely whole. It'd be perfect. What apps would you download to the operating system of your life? How about that? Can we speak in that language? I think we understand that, right? What apps would you add to your life? In order to have the perfect and complete life, would you download the app to add more money to your bank account? The magical app. You just put it on your phone. You just, every time you touch it, more money comes in, right? That'd be good. Or how about adding more members to your family? 
Maybe we need a bigger family. Maybe we need more things to keep us busy and more love into our family. Hey, check this out. I can tell by your facial expressions. Maybe some of you would want the app to take members away from your family, right? It'd be a decent one sometimes. I better be careful because I'm recorded. You're not. How about your image? Would you consider your life be, to be complete if you had a, added a few inches to your height? Or remove, removing a few pounds from your weight? Well, we could go on for hours this way, couldn't we? We could talk forever and ever about the things that we think would bring us completeness and wholeness that would give us the perfect life. Because all of us have different ideas about what this means to live a perfect and complete life. But James has something different for us this morning. See, the Bible contains the truth that we need to understand and we need to receive in order to live in this completeness, this wholeness, this perfect life. James wrote this letter again to people who were spread all over the place. And what we're going to see is that this early community of Christians were not always gathered together like we are here today to, to be encouraged and to sing together and to worship together and to be in the presence of God together and to pray together and to confess our sins together and to learn from the Bible together. They had the Old Testament, but they had yet received anything. This would have been the first letter that most of the Christians heard from after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. James says that they experienced various kinds of trials. No doubt they were threatened to give up their way of life. No doubt wherever they moved or lived, they, people had said, I don't, who are you following? I don't know this Jesus guy. You're acting funny. Nobody comes back from the dead. This is not real. You need to give it up or get out. Various trials of all kinds. We'll learn that they were taken advantage of. They were mocked. They were treated as outcasts. And now enter James. They received this letter. And so as they receive this letter, I'm wondering if they open it up and it's going to be read to them. That's the old school way, right? Like, like if we were back in the 40s, what would happen is I would stand up and just read straight through for 15 minutes the letter of James. If you wanted to read James on your own, which I hope you do this afternoon, would be a great time. Not right now because you should be listening to me. You can take about 15 minutes. You can read through the whole letter of James. Two really cool things happen when you do that. Number one, you read an entire book of the Bible, right? That's pretty cool. And number two, there's no, there's no distraction. We, you, would have, you would have received a letter as they would have received this letter. Somebody would have stood up and just read out loud for 15 minutes what James had to say. But what would James do? What would he say first? How does he kick off his letter to a people spread out everywhere, various kinds of trials and problems and pain and suffering because they thought they were placing their faith in the one true God, yet they're all spread out, and this is not the way they thought it was going to go. How does he start? Well, he starts by talking about joy. Not a great start, James. That's not what I wanted to hear. So let's read together. James chapter 1. We're going to read two verses, 2 through 4. James says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, slash sisters. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Yes, amen. And the steadfastness have its full effect, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. This is what James starts his letter out with to people who are spread out all over the place, experiencing pain and problems, what the Bible calls trials. Now, have you ever been given, have you ever been given advice that seems so counterintuitive to what you're experiencing? I mean, somebody tells you something in the middle of sort of situation, and you're like, that's not at all what I wanted to hear, and it sounds funny, and that's not going to work. You ever been given that advice? Take, for example, when people say, yeah, you know, when people are just really mean to you and they won't leave you alone and they're just a pain, you just kill them with kindness. Like, what? I got to be more kind to the people who are not kind to me? That's not how it works. Here's one that all the, all the rough and tough parents can figure out. This is what I experienced in my life. You know, you fall, you're riding your bike, you learn how to ride your bike, you're like five, right? And then you fall and you skin up your knees to the point where it's almost bone and it hurts that bad but it's really not. It's just a little bit. Kids just act that way. And your dad says, rub some dirt on it. Rub some dirt on it? You want me to rub dirt in that? That's, what, that's the advice you're giving me right now? You can't give me a hug or kiss my boo-boo? You want me to rub dirt? That's counterintuitive. How's this one? I think the Godfather was made famous for this one. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Who keeps enemies closer than friends? Not at all the advice that we think would work. Now, I had to give you those examples because I want you to know that advice and wisdom that we find in the Bible is a kind of a lot like that. When we first read the Bible, we have this tendency to get all twisted up because we read things and we think, that's not what I thought it was supposed to say. That's not what I need to hear right now. It's because the whole Christian message is a paradox. Meaning the Christian message does not teach what we as people here today would consider as regular. Give me me some examples. Give me some examples. The Bible says if you want to get, you got to give. No, no, I want to get stuff. Yeah, you're right, but you got to give it up. No, no, I want to get stuff. I don't think you're hearing me. Right, if you want to get, you got to give. The Bible says if you want to lead, if you want to be a leader, you got to serve. No, 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 no. That's not what I was talking about. I said, I want to be a leader. Right, the Bible says you got to serve. Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you must first lose it. Right? Like, what's that all about? If you want to get, you got to give. If you want to lead, you have to serve. If you want life, you got to lose it. James says, following in suit, if you want to live in perfect completeness, lacking nothing, you will have to break and embrace all of the brokenness. It's like, James, that is not what I was looking for. That is not what I came here to hear this morning. Let me be very, very transparent as your pastor. I know that we all come in here through those doors with a different story, a different situation, different burdens on our shoulders and on our mind and our hearts and on our souls. Some are really, really heavy and we barely made it in. Some of us are walking a little lighter because we just experiencing joy this morning. You're welcome here too. We're all annoyed with you, but you're welcome here. (laughs) But see, most of us, life just seems too hard to carry at times, doesn't it? It's too much. And so when we walk through this letter of James, I I don't want you to think, just suck it up, right? Just get on with it, because that's not at all what I think James is saying. I do want you to know that there's a place here for you to work through that to be loved by a community, to be supported by men and women who actually have so much more in common than you, you just don't know it yet. So we are imperfect people 
on a journey to worship our perfect God, right? So you're welcome here this morning. So let's look at verse two. Let's get in here a little bit deeper here. And he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's what James says. If you want to pursue the perfect life, you must first, first step, is to determine how you will respond to the problems in your life. It's the very first thing to do. If you're here this morning and you're sort of just lost, I don't know where to go next. The advice that I would give you and that the James says is the first thing you have to do is figure out how you're responding to the problems. Because there's always more problems than non-problems. Can I get a witness in here? Okay, I don't know why I said witness. That was the first time I've ever done that. It's God the Spirit. Watch out. It gets you talking funny. Now, there's always more problems than non-problems. There just always is. And so James says, if you want to live a perfect life, if you want to start living in wholeness and completeness. So when I say those three words, just know that that, that, that is what the original language is talking to us about. The perfect life, the whole life, the complete life. James says, you got to figure out how you're responding to your hardships, to trials, meaning difficulty, meaning problems, meaning pain. And stop for a moment and think back on how you handled some difficult situations this week. Think back on how, how you approached the problems that you experienced this week. What overflowed from your life when you were bumped, when you were hit, when the world slammed up against you? How did you respond this morning? What was, was your first reaction to get angry, to get bitter? And maybe someone wasn't very nice to you. That happens. And did you respond with words that cut straight to the heart? Did you set them straight? Did you let them know if you ever come back here around with all that noise, it's going to hurt even worse because I got more than you? Is that what you did? And for those who are a bit more reserved, maybe for those of some of us who's like, I'd never be mean to anyone. Okay, I got something for you too. (laughs) Did the problems you experienced take the wind out of your sails? Are you suffering in silence because maybe you're just less verbal? Did anxiety and depression start to creep back in because a problem slammed right into you and you had no idea how to handle it? You didn't know where to go. Did the trials in your life cause you to forget all that God has done for you? Certainly that happens every week, okay? I cannot be the only one up here who experiences that. Did the trials in your life cause you, even if it was just for a moment, to forget all that God has done for you and all that God has promised to you. Here's the, here's the issue that we run into as people. These are people problems now, okay? This isn't Christian and non-Christian problems. These are just people problems. If the default response, if your default response to pain and suffering and trials, if your default response to trials in your life today resemble the attitudes and actions of whoever you were in your former life, I want you to take a deep look into your heart and check to see who or what is running the control center of your life. If your default response is to be the person you were yesterday or last year or two years ago, if that person is still popping up when trials run into your life, then that is the moment where you slow down and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Who or what is controlling this thing? I think of that movie that my kids have watched and, um, 
It's like the control center of the brain and the emotions. I think the girl's name is called Joy. And then there's the angry guy where fire comes off the top of his head. And every time something happens, he takes the, the anger lever and just pushes it right up. And he gets mad at everything. Who or what has the control center of your life? And if you were here realizing maybe, you know, I, I'm not sure who or what is controlling the center of my life. I, I have never thought of it like that. I, I just thought I was supposed to be true to myself and just tell everyone in the moment exactly what I was thinking because that was genuine, authentic realness or whatever word we're using today. That's what I thought I was supposed to do. I thought I was supposed to be myself. Let me tell you, if you don't know who or what is running the control center of your life, there is good news here for you today. Every Sunday, every day, there is good news. But here's why our response matters, because James says the key to living a perfect, complete, whole life begins when we respond with joy. And we're all like, yeah, thanks, James. Thanks for the letter. Uh, More counterintuitive advice that I can't seem to really grasp or put into practice. I don't know how to apply that. Most of us are like, nope, I'm not going to act like this guy. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to respond with joy. Are you kidding me? Just as I was, got myself lifted out of this pit, I fall into the next one. Here comes another problem. And all of us right now just realize Monday is tomorrow. Yeah, it starts all over again. It never stops. There's never an easy moment. Some of you are like, problems are everywhere. I actually never get a break to even think about joy. Well, here's the deal. Let's read it again. Count it all joy, my brothers, and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, what James actually is telling us, that this means that these trials and difficulties and problems we experience are in our life for a very good reason. That's what he's telling us. And this means that the trial that, that you are experiencing today was placed in your life so you could have the opportunity for a perfect and complete life. And we... we we tend to shy back away from thinking this way because we don't like that there is a God who is testing us or giving us these things in order to create the pain that we're experiencing. That's not the God I want to follow. James, man, he's a, he just comes right out with it. He just goes for it. There's no sugarcoating it. He says, if you want to live the perfect and complete life, respond with joy to the trials that God has placed in your life. And I want you to catch that. James is saying the trials we experience are from the hand of God, from the very hand of God. Now, before about 98% of you check out because you've had enough already, because this is not the God you thought who he was. And even if you don't know God today, this is not the God you're signing up to follow. If you're here today and you're gonna say, in no way will I listen to a God who puts me through trials on purpose, That's not very loving. That's not very kind. I have better friends than that. I want you to know the Bible says God does not tempt us to sin. And I add this warning because we have a tendency to associate pain, problems, and trials with temptation to sin. These are two different categories. And this is sort of like a a sidebar here, right, in in my message this morning. Because later on, I can't give it all away, right, because this is verse 13 of the same chapter. So you'll get a sermon about this later. This is what he says. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt with evil. Cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, the problems and trials that God has given you in your life are exactly for what James says they are. Therefore, steadfastness, which, put, which will bring you to a, a point in your life where it is perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And later on, he says, hold on, don't get it twisted up with what you think God is doing to you. He's not tempting you to sin. That's not a thing. He doesn't do that. You see, right now we have defaulted already in our minds to go, well, I did that thing I know I shouldn't have done. Now there's pain in my life as a natural consequence, and I don't like that God let me do that. Hold on, that's not the same. That's not the same. The Bible says God cannot be tempted. He does not tempt anyone with sin. There is no darkness in God. It is our flesh that is the problem. It is our sinful hearts and minds that lure us and entice us to act on that temptation. So James says God's not tempting us. He, he's indicating that God is testing us, two different things. And what he is testing is our faith in him. That's the big idea. The first thing he tells the Christians who are all spread out all over the region, who are experiencing trials and pain and problems, he's like, cool, count it all joy. It's gonna be amazing because God is testing your faith. James does not say God is tempting us. He is indicating that God is testing us. And he is testing our faith. He wants you to know that if we are allowing his spirit to control our lives or not, are we, are we people who say, I'm allowing the spirit of God to direct me, to guide me, to control my control center? Or am I the little red guy with the fiery head? Am I him? It's a really good movie. I don't even know what it's called, but you should look it up. It's like allowing my son to push a shopping cart or a stroller almost. You ever had those moments? right? It's like, sure, son, you can push the cart. I'm just going to put my hand on here for a little while, right? So I, you think you're pushing it, but really I'm making sure you don't ram into every single Achilles tendon that you can see, okay? We've all been there. That's never any fun. I almost have like this twitch now. If the kids are behind me at a grocery store, I'm always going like this. I put my hand like this. If you're in Home Depot and you get those ones with the wheels, spend hours in there. If mom ever leaves town, that's where we go. They're on the wheels, they're driving. I, I, just, I just walk like this. And I think people are wondering, what is wrong with this guy? Well, that's because I've been hitting Achilles tendon one too many times. But see, that's how we kind of act with God. We say, I'm gonna give you my life. I, I, this, you're, you are where I found forgiveness. You are, you are the person who has cleansed me, who has made me clean. And now I know because of what Jesus did, when God looks at me, oh, he sees his perfect son. It's amazing. I have new life. I'm free from all my guilt and all my shame. Anything I've ever done wrong has been forgotten. He's such a good God that when he forgives you, he says your sins are as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. But I'm not going to give you control of my life. I mean, that's just crazy. You can push the cart. I'm just going to keep my hand right here. I'm just going to make sure it's actually going to go, it's going to go where I want it to go. God is going to test your faith. Where is your faith? How strong is your faith? Are you truly living as though you are in the hand of God? You see, it's only natural that our faith must be tested. Over and over again, our faith must be tested because that is really the only way we remember who God is is that when we come out of a trial and a test, we see him very, very clearly. You think about living under the power of your own life. You think about never any problem or any pain. Would you ever learn, ever grow, ever change? No, it doesn't happen. Real growth in your life comes from trials and pain. 
I mean, sit down and have coffee with anybody who has lived a lot of painful moments in your life, and they will say, you know, it's, it's crazy, but I like myself who I am today compared to who I was a long time ago because of how much I've learned about myself, how much I've learned about God, how much I've realized that I'm not the center of the world. There's a man named David who was tested a lot by God. He used to be a king of Israel many, many years ago. He wrote this, Psalm 40. He says, I wait patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. David says, when I was facing trials and pain and problems in my life, I waited patiently. I cried out to God, and when he heard me, he lifted me up out of all of it, and then he set my feet on solid rock, making my steps secure. And David tells us when we start to see what lies beyond ourselves, beyond our pain, beyond our problems, and we start to see into the plans of God, we suddenly realize that although the problem brings pain, my God has gifted me with an opportunity to become steadfast, James says, to become strong. That's what that is. Perseverance, strength. That's the word steadfast. God has gifted me with an opportunity to become tough. He has gifted me with an opportunity to persevere. He has given me the opportunity to live with an unstoppable faith, to once again reveal himself for who he truly is. And many of the poems that David wrote, there's so many thank yous to God for allowing the trials and the problems. Count it all joy when God tests your faith. And this is never easy. Church, this is never going to be easy. And although I'm talking about it like just go do it and check it off your list, that's not my intention. I'm just telling you this is never going to be easy because when the problem and the pain comes, we immediately go to our flesh and we say, I cannot believe this. Why God? Why God? And you know what? That's perfectly natural and that's not sinful. That's not wrong. That's not wrong. It's never easy, but hold fast to the God who saved you. Hold fast to the faith that freed you, and you'll start to see your perfect and complete life take shape. You'll start to live needing nothing besides the presence of God. That's what James is telling his people. You're all spread out. You're going through various things. People are mocking you. Nobody knows who a Christian is. They all think you're crazy. They don't want you in your town. Hold fast to the God who promised salvation and who you will see again. Because his presence is the only thing you truly need in this life. And his spirit should have the controls of your control center. Allow him access, full access into your life so that your faith will be unstoppable. Let's look at verse four. That's what he says. And let steadfastness, that's strength, that's perseverance, that's toughness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says this, when you respond with joy, your trials are never wasted. Don't waste a moment of the trial God has put in your life. Don't waste them because there's precious jewels of knowledge and wisdom that you will learn by living through the trial and relying back on God. 
James says your trials are for your benefit. They are used to make you tough. And then when toughness has its full effect, when you've lifted enough of those weights and your muscles don't have any more room to grow, you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And trials will try to trip you up. Problems will most certainly appear. A difficulty will attempt to dominate every area of your life. But when you respond with joy, the power to be knocked down has been removed. You become stronger in your faith. You become more rooted in your faith. If we respond with joy, it's almost like the amount of time that we fall into one of those deep pits that we feel like we're in most of the time where we look up and there's nobody above to lift us out and there's no ladder to climb up and I can't get out of it. Darkness all around me. I'm down here by my own. No one understands me. If we respond with joy, the amount of time you stay in those pits will decrease. You'll climb out quicker. Let's imagine for a moment, what if joy was the default response of your family? Let's think for a moment, like I said earlier, if the default response is like anger, bitterness, depression, anxiety, which is completely natural according to our flesh, that's how our bodies want to react because things aren't going the way we want. Things aren't going the way we thought they would go. That's completely natural. You're not wrong or sinful for feeling those things. Okay, that's okay. But what if our faith in God would push us to a place And the presence of God would move us to a place where joy was our default response. Just think for a moment. If joy was the default response, what would our families look like? What would our neighborhood look like? If joy was the default response of every person in this city, what would our city look like? Completely different, wouldn't it? Relationships would be completely different. Serving one another would look completely different because joy now is the dominant theme of our life. If joy was the dominant theme of our church and of your relationships and of your family and of your friends and of your neighborhood and of your workplace, I would say that fear would no longer dominate anyone. There wouldn't be any fear. And no matter what was headed your way, you knew I'm gonna respond with joy no matter how much it hurts. Certainly anxiety and depression would begin to lose the battle for our hearts and minds that it is so desperately trying to win today. I want you to realize that if you have a friend, you should ask them if they're dealing with anxiety and depression. You need to ask those questions. Because people are lonely and they're fighting a battle in the corner by themselves. And when you're alone, there's no way out of the pit, is there? You're just down there. But what if we could help people respond with joy? See, those, the battle of depression and anxiety for our hearts and our minds, that, that would start to lose the battle. It would start to lose the battle because our faith would go strong and that strong and that, that strongness, that strength, that steadfastness would lead to a perfect and whole and complete life. James says, count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds. For when your faith is tested, because it certainly most, it will be. God will test the faith you said you placed in him. You will become strong. And when your strength takes its full effect, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's what we need to know from this. A perfect life cannot be purchased. There's never anything you can buy to make your life complete. We struggle with that. It's called shopping therapy. That's what happens. A perfect life cannot be won as like a 
like a victory. It cannot be won. You can't go into a game or a battle and like, man, if I win this, I'm going to win a perfect life. It can't be won. It's not given out as a trophy. A perfect life can only be found when joy takes the control center of your heart. That's what James says. And I'm not going to do the guilt thing where we realize, you know, in the 40s, Christians had it way worse than us. We're not going to do that because we're all the same. We just have iPhones. That's literally the only difference, okay? We all struggle with the same stuff. Even the original audience of this letter struggled with too. We're all the same. But if you want an unstoppable faith in the God that you follow, if you want to feel like your relationship with God is stronger today than it was yesterday, then you respond with joy when he tests your faith. I'll end with this. I understand that responding with joy seems to be so foreign right now in this moment. I get that. I have prayed for you all week that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God would show you what it's like to respond with joy. And I understand that right now, it's, some of you are like, I, I, I just listened to you for a few minutes, more than a few minutes, okay? And I'm not going to be able to do it. It's like we, we want to respond with joy, but it just seems so far away. This happens for a few reasons. Number one, we have forgotten who the God is that saved us and redeemed us. We forgot the strength and the power that he has in his hand. You know, the Bible says that God created everything by speaking it into existence. The Bible says that the entire universe, not just our galaxy that we can really only get a glimpse of, right? But galaxies far beyond us. The Bible says God holds those in his hands. The Bible says that the God who created everything sent Jesus Christ into this world to take your place. And then when they killed him, he raised him up from the dead. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit he gives you to live your new life. That's a powerful spirit. You see, it's a spirit issue. Is that when we don't feel like counting it all joy, we, we still think that I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to live under my own spirit. It's the John spirit. I know how it moves and how it operates. I can kind of predict everything, how it's going to go. It's comfortable. I like it. See, this spirit is never going to allow me, my spirit and my flesh is never going to allow me to respond with joy. It only takes the spirit of God to do that. We're all born with the spirit of flesh. We're all born with the, the default response of anger and bitterness. And I can tell you, if you want to start your journey of living a perfect, complete wholeness of life, you must first figure out how you respond to trials and pain and problems. That is your first thing you can do. Don't go and purchase anything. Don't go and sign up for a new activity. Don't get another extracurricular anything in your life. Don't go find a different boyfriend or a different girlfriend. Don't go have another child. Don't give away any of your children, okay? That's not the first thing you can do. The first thing you can do is to figure out when life comes square right at me and hits me, I am going to choose joy. Because that will allow you to become tough. And when that toughness has its full effect, you will live in an unstoppable faith and a perfect and complete life. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, the Bible says he gave up his spirit. 
And you see, some of us are like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't, I don't have a spirit like that. Well, here's the good news, that when Jesus died, he gave up his spirit so that we could have it. He was willing to die and take our place so we could be all of who he is. The Bible promises that, is that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become who he is. You get all of his goodness, all of his ability to respond with joy. You see, Jesus was tempted just like we were, tested like we were, yet never failed. Jesus always responded with joy. Even as he walked to the cross and he had you in mind, he said, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to choose joy and I'm going to walk to that cross because I have people that need my spirit. And so today, if joy seems too far away, that's because you're actually relying on your spirit to go and find it. You can't do that. It's the spirit of God that produces the joy in your life. So I call you today to respond by exchanging your spirit with the spirit of God. In the Bible, long ago, they would call that the great exchange, where you give all of who you are to God, and he gives you all of who he is to you. You live under a new power, under new lens, under a new spirit. See, that's when you can start counting it all joy when you face trials and problems in this life.